Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 296. Today's big Bible question, dear Bible Reading Podcast, I am a terrible person. What can I do that will impress God? Well, happy Lord's Day, friends, and may it be a day of refreshment and worship. May you seek the face of God today together with other believers, and may he refresh you body, mind, and soul as you seek after him. I invite you to join us today online at Facebook at 11 a.m. Pacific at our webpage uh, for our church, VBC Salinas Valley Baptist Church. That's uh, VBC Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas. As we discuss, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And we consider how God is calling his church all across the world right now to history-changing prayer during this pandemic. Our Bible readings today begin with 1 Kings 21, which is our focus passage, and also include Psalm 107, Daniel chapter 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4. This is going to be our fourth straight day reading an epistle of Paul, and we haven't focused in on one of those chapters yet in Thessalonians. I do suspect that will change tomorrow, but I actually haven't gone over Monday's readings just yet, so I guess we'll see. Now, King Ahab was a horrible guy, a terrible king, just utterly awful, a murderer, a spineless leader, and a whiny king who prostituted himself with many other gods. I actually think 1 Kings 1 does a better job of summing up his life than I just did. Uh, 1 Kings 1, 21 through, uh, chapter 21, 25 through 26 says, still there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight because his wife Jezebel incited him. He committed the most detestable acts by following idols as the Amorites had, whom the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. So ouch. Ahab is king for a pretty long time. 22 years, and he just makes one bad decision after another, perhaps worst of all, enabling his wife Jezebel to preside over the mass murderer of like dozens of prophets and priests. And in today's chapter, we're going to see Ahab essentially commit first degree murder by proxy, just so he, a man with practically everything, can have one more vineyard, which of course is very reminiscent of David's sin with Bathsheba. In response to all of this evil, God pronounces a terrible judgment on Ahab through Elijah the prophet. Uh, we read about it in verses 17 through 19. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, get up and go to meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He's in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says, have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. Another example of the kind of strong language we talked about the other day. It's so vivid, it's so final, and it's so terrifying, and yet this story, in this chapter at least, does not end how we expect it to, because Ahab does something that is utterly astounding, uh, so astounding, in fact, that it seems to impress God. Now, I struggled with what you were to use in today's big Bible question. I'm not quite certain that Ahab impresses God. Of course, God's not surprised at all because he's omniscient and everything. But God does seem to be very moved by Ahab's surprising act. So let's go read our passage in 1 Kings chapter 21 and read all about this surprising act. 
Sometime passed after these events, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard. It was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard so I can have it for a vegetable garden, since it's right next to my palace. I will give you a better vineyard in its place, or if you prefer, I will give you its value in silver. But Naboth said to Ahab, As the Lord is my witness, I will never give my ancestors inheritance to you. So Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had told him. He had said, I will not give you my ancestors' inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned his face away, and didn't eat any food. Then his wife Jezebel came to him and said to him, Why are you so upset that you refuse to eat? Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, he replied. I told him, give me your vineyard for silver, or if you wish, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. Then his wife Jezebel said to him, now exercise your royal power over Israel. Get up, eat some food, and be happy, for I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. In the letters she wrote, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the table. Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as is written in the letters she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the table. The two wicked men came in and sat opposite him. Then the wicked men testified against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, who refused to give it to you for silver, since Naboth isn't alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Get up and go to meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He is in Naboth's vineyard, where he's gone to take possession of it. Tell him, This is what the Lord says. Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, So, my enemy, you've found me, have you? And he replied, I have found you because you devoted yourself to do what is evil in the Lord's sight. This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on you and will eradicate your descendants. I will wipe out all of Ahab's males, both slave and free, in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashah, son of Ahijah, because you have angered me and caused Israel to sin. The Lord also speaks of Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel. Anyone who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and anyone who dies in the field, the birds will eat. Still, there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight because his wife Jezebel incited him. He committed the most detestable acts by following idols as the Amorites had, 
whom the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth over his body, and fasted. He lay down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring the disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring the disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. So did you see that little part at the end coming? Maybe for those who've read First Kings before, they remember that Ahab humbled himself and repented. But if this is your first time around, I suspect you might be a little shocked. Ahab humbles himself and turns to the Lord, walking around in sackcloth and ashes and such. And even more surprising is that God is actually moved by this act and forestalls his judgment. How can this be? Well, two things I want to point out here. Number one, the importance of humility and repentance. And number two, the hope that this should give all sinners, even the worst of them, about the nature and character of God and his abundant mercy. Now, we can say for certain that God is not impressed by hardly any of the things that impresses humanity. God looks on the inside, and thus he's not moved by worldly wealth or popularity or good looks or the number of views your latest Twitch video or TikTok hand-dancing video got. God is moved by humility, however. Consider Psalm 138.6, Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble but he knows the haughty from a distance. Isaiah twenty nine twenty nine. the humble will have joy after joy in the Lord, and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one, one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And as we saw yesterday, God takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn away from his way and live, says Ezekiel 33.11. God delights in repentance and he gives joy after joy, grace after grace to the humble, and he knows them intimately and he gives them the earth as their inheritance. Now, it's really quite astounding to me that God is so full of gracious compassion that this awful scoundrel Ahab even has mercy upon mercy poured on his head simply by humbling himself and repenting and walking around in sackcloth. I don't know that this phrase has been said very often, but may we learn this lesson from Ahab here that God gives his riches of mercy and compassion to even the vilest sinner who turns to him in humility and repentance. No sinners, no matter what you've done, no matter what somebody you're witnessing to has done, no sinners have put themselves outside the bounds of God's loving kindness. Now that said, We must consider a sobering truth here, because this story doesn't end well. Well, I mean, I guess in a sense it ends well. It ends justly and rightly. Ahab here humbles himself and repents, and God bestows magnificent mercy on him. But then afterwards, Ahab rebelled against God again and stopped humbling himself and repenting. And the judgment that was delayed by mercy was reinstated by justice yet again. In the same way that a criminal pardoned for robbery robbery by the great mercy of a judge will be sent to jail immediately upon committing another robbery again, so did Ahab put himself back under the Lord's judgment by his rebellion. Now, that's a sobering truth, but I do want to end on a more hopeful note. So let's turn to our old friend Charles Spurgeon, who is here to remind us of God's propensity to give when asked. So Spurgeon says, let it be remembered that frequently, even when the ungodly and the wicked have asked of God, they have received. 
Full often in the time of their distress, they have called upon God and he has answered them. Do you just say that, says a person? No, says Spurgeon, I don't just say that, but scripture says it. Ahab's prayer was answered and the Lord said, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he humbles himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the evil upon his house. So also the Lord heard the prayer of Jehoiahaz, the son of Jehu, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's 2 Kings 13, 1-4. The Israelites also, for their sins, they were given over to their foes, cried to God for deliverance, and they were answered. Yet the Lord himself testified concerning them that they did but flatter with their mouth. So does it stagger you that God would do that? Does he not hear the young ravens when they cry? Do you think that he will not hear man that is formed in his own image? Do you doubt it? Remember Nineveh. The prayers offered at Nineveh, were they spiritual prayers? Did you ever hear of a church of God in Nineveh? I have not, says Spurgeon, neither do I believe the Ninevites were ever visited by converting grace, but they were, by the preaching of Jonah, convinced that they were in danger from the great Jehovah, and they proclaimed a fast and humbled themselves, and God heard their prayer, and Nineveh for a while was preserved. Many a time in the hour of sickness and in the time of woe, God has heard the prayers of the unthankful and the evil. Do you think God gives nothing except to the good? Have you dwelt at the foot of Sinai and learned to judge according to the law of merit? What kind of person were you when you began to pray to God? Were you good and righteous? Has God not commanded you to do good to even the evil? Will God command you to do what he will not do himself? Has he not said that he sends rain upon the just and upon the judged unjust? And is it not so? Is he not daily blessing those who curse him and doing good to those who despitefully use him? This is one of the glories of God's grace. And when there is nothing else good in the man, yet if there be a cry lifted up from his heart, the Lord deigns full often to send relief from trouble. Now, if God has heard the prayers of even men who have not sought him in the highest manner and has given them temporary deliverances in answer to their cries, will he not much more hear you when you are humbling yourself in his sight and desiring to be reconciled to him? Amen. That is a good encouragement for us. Yes, God will hear us when we cry out to him with a humble and repentant heart. Well, let's keep reading Psalm chapter 107. Verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. 
for he has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from their traps. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices and announce his works with shouts of joy. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turns rivers into desert springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns the desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there and they establish a city where they can live. They sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice and all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar asked them, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, We don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the command of the king was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, The raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king, and he exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and when the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn from limb to limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we have also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you, because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, 
You are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And friends, I do pray those words encourage you. Maranatha, Jesus, come quickly. Good day and Godspeed.